You're listening to a sermon from the Spring Midtown Church in Phoenix, Arizona. If you'd like to learn more about the Spring and its ministry, please visit thespringmidtown.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Yeah, I got to tell you guys, I'm I'm tired. Uh, it's been a long week, just personally. I have two little kids, so that's real life. It's a long and difficult season in many ways. But I, I'm tired emotionally. I'm existentially exhausted. There's just a lot going on. I'm, I'm tired of quarantine, of living on top of each other and somehow feeling lonely at the same time, of hesitating before you shake somebody's hand or give somebody a hug or step within six feet of someone else. Tired. Tired of the coronavirus and the havoc it's wreaking on the world, particularly upon the, the more, the poor and the marginalized, and those who can't just telecommute or live on their savings, those especially in the third world. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm tired of 100,000 dead, of leaders making choices with limited information that will massively affect us for years to come. I'm tired of economic devastation and people I know who've lost jobs. I'm, I'm tired of the tweeting and the anger and the division and the right versus the left and the masked versus the unmasked. And I'm just tired of it. I'm tired of police brutality. I'm tired of riots. I'm tired of good cops being tarnished by bad ones. And sometimes standing up in a misguided sense of solidarity and defending the bad ones. I'm tired of evil people who get a badge and a gun and get away with murder. And I am tired of stories of black men and women and children being killed by the police. I am sick and tired of it. And tired isn't really the right word. I'm a lot of words. I'm kind of out of words. I'm outraged. I'm angry. I'm furious. I'm exhausted. I'm at a loss. I'm empty. I'm grieving. But I'm a Christian and I'm a pastor. And the pastor doesn't always get to feel that way. And that I'm trying to ignore lately and just kind of be a Christian. So that's where I'm at. But my Christianity does something weird to me. It makes me read my Bible. And not because I feel like it, by the way. Uh, and definitely in the midst of questions like, what good will this do? Um, but yeah, I know, even though I don't feel like it, that there's a God who still loves me. And I'm still speaking. Those scriptures are still true. Um, and I have enough faith, which isn't very much, but I have enough, like a little bit that I understand that tells me that God is trustworthy. And so I can yell at him, which is nice, and lament the word that Gabby used, which is nice, and cry out to God, how long, O Lord? Because I just, I don't know that I've got anything in this season. And I was reading a commentary on the book of Acts by Lloyd John Ogilvy. And he says this, a sense of need is a gift. The recognition of spiritual emptiness 
is a blessing. A realization of the distance between what we are and what we could become is a special grace. The Lord is never nearer than when he excavates a sense of emptiness in us. The Holy Spirit can only fill empty hearts. The Holy Spirit can only fill empty hearts. So if you feel a little empty today, you may be in an excellent place to have God fill you with his spirit in brand new ways. We're going to be in the book of Acts, chapter 2. This is Acts, chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting, divided tongues as a fire rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the nation, native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in your own languages, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God sparked something that day. Pentecost. And today is a day we celebrate Pentecost. It's one of those Christian calendar days that people forget. It's not like Christmas or Easter. It's not nearly as exciting. There are no rabbits with chocolate, confusing as that may be. It's something that doesn't really make sense to the secular world, because what we're saying is that no matter how amazing Jesus was, there was a day where we discovered that there was more to God than Jesus. Crazy as that sounds, that God did something really new about 50 days, Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And suddenly we found that God was with us, not in the flesh of Jesus Christ, but in the flesh of the church, in you and in me, the very presence of God, the Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit is not something that God made and gave to us on Pentecost, some weird superpower for us. It's the very Spirit of God, God himself, the Holy Spirit is all things that God is, except the Son of God, and except God the Father. That's what we believe about who God is, that God is amazingly and miraculously giving us this gift of his Spirit, that any and all who believe in Jesus, who are baptized and follow him, have the power of God within them. What Paul says is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and at work in you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive, is alive and at work in you. Now that's incredible. That's a that's a ridiculous statement that we're saying. Even more ridiculous, actually, than saying that Jesus 
rose from the dead is saying that you and I have the resurrection power of God at work within us. The very presence, the spirit of God at work within us, slowly and steadily transforming our hearts and our minds and conforming us to a completely different reality, turning us into completely different kinds of people. And there are some folks who come to know Jesus and, and start following Jesus as Christians and they discover the Holy Spirit later in life because nobody ever tells them about it. And they don't realize, actually, that following Jesus isn't something we do all by ourselves or under our own power. It's, it's a gift from God, something the Spirit is constantly at work within us, giving us this, this gift and this power in strange and new ways. But before Pentecost happens, these people are pretty miserable and kind of alone. And Jesus is gone. And he said, you know, at some point, God's going to send you this gift, and you're going to have power, and you're going to be my witnesses but until then, they basically sheltered in place. They were stuck in a, a room and talking and thinking and scheming about what God might be up to and just sort of at a loss of what to do next. And I know the feeling. Yesterday, I was, I was talking to my wife about what was going on in the world, about riots, not just in Minneapolis, uh, but you know, there were things happening in Scottsdale and Chandler last night. Philadelphia instituted a curfew that Atlanta is on fire. I mean some real pain in the world and I get it and I looked down deep within myself last night and found nothing uh, no hope uh, no patience no words of wisdom I'm not Dr. King I'm not wise I'm not black I have no credibility I got nothing and I, I said to my wife you know if a riot were to just head by the house I think I might join for a little while I don't know how you join a riot like if I have to sign up online or something but like if rioting is what we're doing I'm in Let's, let's flip over some cars. Let's break some glass. Let's light some things on fire. Let's let the destruction that I feel at work within me out into the world. Because that won't do anything, but I'm going to feel better for a little bit. And I'll be with other people. Like, we'll be together destroying the world and angry. And I get it. I really do. I understand a rage that has long been suppressed, finally unleashed. That, that makes sense to me. I see a suffering that has been long endured, that has finally been sparked, and it's raging. I, I see sorrow unimaginable that has built up for centuries. And I don't know what to do about it. But I, I do know that it's not going to do anything. Not because I don't think protests are valuable, but because I know that, that violence only begets violence. And I've learned that from many wise people through the years. That's not my own thought. It's something I've heard from Dr. King and plenty of other great people, great thinkers and leaders. I know that ultimately what will happen because of these riots is that municipalities will get off the hook and police departments will get off the hook. They'll be able to talk about violence. They'll be able to talk about riots and they won't have to talk about police brutality. They won't have to talk about reform or change. They'll be able to talk about an overreaction. They'll be able to talk about evil that's been done. Billions of dollars lost. And nobody will have to talk about George Floyd. George Floyd, who's a 46-year-old man who walked into a convenience store with a fake $20 bill. $20. It's the most senseless thing I've heard in my life. He was in custody. He was subdued, and somebody kneels on his neck for nine minutes. 
like nobody stops the cops because what they've got guns and badges nobody feels the need to jump a cop in that moment and i'm aware that that's an insane sentence from a pastor in a sermon but they're killing the man right in front of you and all you do is sit there and film it and i'm glad somebody filmed it but i just don't know what else to do it just seems like i under i get it that violence is the only answer that makes sense but i think it's the wrong kind of fire I think it's the wrong kind of spark starting the wrong kind of fire. And I think in the end, what will happen is the rage won't sustain us. That anger is not enough. That sorrow is not enough to change the world. It will not actually make an impact on the things we really want to make an impact on. That what we need is a very different kind of fire and a very different kind of spark. I say this as somebody who reads the Bible and who thinks about time, but I say this also as somebody who has read some words of Dr. King. This comes from a speech he wrote called The Promised Land. He says this, I remember in Birmingham, Alabama, when we were in that majestic struggle. There we would move out of the 16th Street Baptist Church day after day. By the hundreds, we would move out. And Bull Connor would tell them to send the dogs. And they did come. But we just went before the dogs singing, ain't gonna let nobody turn me around. Bull Connor next would say, turn the fire hoses on. And as I said to you the other night, Bull Connor didn't know history. He knew a kind of physics that somehow didn't relate to the trans physics that we know about. And that was the fact that there was a certain kind of fire no water could put out. And we went before the hoses. We had known water. If we were a Baptist or some other domination, we had been immersed. If we were Baptists or some others, we'd been sprinkled, but we had known water. They couldn't stop us. we just go on singing, over my head I see freedom in the air. We need a different kind of fire. A kind of fire that doesn't come from us. A kind of fire that burns for justice that burns hotter and more dangerously than anything we could ever come up with. We need to be connected actually to a very different kind of kingdom because the order of this world is one that will constantly turn to racism and violence. It always has. I don't know why we would expect anything different. We need help from outside our humanity. We need the very spirit of God at work within us. The disciples knew this. The apostles knew this why they were stuck inside. Jesus who died, Jesus who was raised, they saw him violently beaten and they saw him come to life and they were thrilled and said, okay, so now, like, are you going to lead us? Is this the time for the kingdom? And he says, actually, no, you guys are going to do it. And I'm going to go to the right hand of the Father, but you're not doing it alone. The Spirit of God will be with you. You will have power from on high. You will be my witnesses. And he left. And I think for like five minutes, you probably feel really good. Like, we're going to do it. This is amazing. And then you're looking around and realizing Jesus is gone. And the only cool thing we've ever really done has always really been with Jesus. And we could see him. And he was there. And he was telling us exactly what to do and why we were wrong and why we, we needed to change. But then it's day after day in this dark house. And they're wondering, like, are we really going to be witnesses? Is there really any power that can get us out of this house? And even if we do, where do we start? And even if we do, what's it going to look like? And I don't really have a plan for the world, Lord, and I don't really know how to save the world, Lord, and I don't know how to tell people about Jesus. 
And then it says in verse 1 of chapter 2 that the time was full. That's what it says in Greek, that things were finally filled up. And suddenly there was this great wind rushed into the house from everywhere and nowhere. A wind inside a house, despite closed windows and locked doors. And it was so loud that people outside heard about it. And it was so powerful it pushed the disciples out the door. This mighty wind from God, this supernatural sign that something was up. Something had changed. And then there was fire. Fire that didn't burn, fire that didn't consume, but fire that, that changed you, that marked you. That set you on a light on the inside and moved you out into the world with a kind of passion and an energy that you hadn't known before. And it doesn't just fall on the 12, it falls on everybody. There are at least 120 people in the house. We hear this in chapter one. Men and women, by the way, male and female, the Spirit of God falls on each one of them. They go out of the house and they start talking about the mighty acts of God, the power and the amazing work of who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ has done for the world. And as they start talking about who God is and what God has done, one of them turns to the other and says, hey, I don't understand what you're saying. And that guy laughs and says, are you speaking Greek? And the third person says, wait, I don't understand. You're speaking in Arabic. And little by little, this crowd of disciples who were all in the room seconds ago, speaking Hebrew together, are now speaking a variety of different languages and having trouble understanding one another. But there's this crowd of people that heard the wind and there's this crowd of people that sees a crowd of people and they're hearing their own language and they're paying attention because it's weird that someone's speaking some obscure Parthian dialect just around Jerusalem. It's super weird that I'm hearing, you know, Arabic and Cretan and well, all of my own native languages. And so they're gathering around and they're going, I don't understand. These guys are what Galileans, a bunch of uneducated fishermen. How do they know these languages? Where did they, I mean, this is, we're a huge crowd. We're lots of different races of people. What, What's going on? What does this mean? It is not an insignificant thing that the Spirit of God, when it moves, immediately sends, immediately sends these Hebrew Jews to go talk to a whole bunch of people from a lot of different places. All sorts of different races are immediately brought together. That's what happens when the Spirit moves. Lots of different people who have no reason, no godly reason to get together, suddenly get a godly reason to get together. They become family. This is the rest of the book of Acts. For the rest of the book of Acts, race will constantly be on display. It will constantly be a question for the church. Does God really love people with a different kind of skin color? Does God really love people who come from a different place? Does God really love people who speak a different language? And right here at Pentecost, it's clear, yes, God speaks their language. God has always spoken their language. God has always loved those people. God has always wanted those people to be his people. And now the message is going out and those people are being invited in. And I got to tell you, you and I, white people, many of us, you and I from other nations, many of us, you and I who aren't really Jews is kind of the point here, are actually recipients of this amazing grace of God. This amazing grace of God. Because you and I aren't the people that Pentecost came to first. You and I are the people who are the result of Pentecost. A bunch of barbarian European tribes and Latin American tribes and 
African tribes coming together because of what God did through the people of Israel. Because of how God's spirit moved in miraculous and amazing ways. And what started to happen, by the way, is a revolution. That's what the book of Acts is all about. A completely new way of being human. A completely new kind of society. A completely new way of talking about family. A completely new way of talking about tribe. A completely new way of talking about religion and community. Because human beings weren't in control of it. It was the spirit of God filling them up where they'd been empty before. The spirit of God sparking something in them that had not yet been set on fire. They got lit up and it changed the world. Now I've often said to people, well, exactly like you, in fact, some of you have heard me say this before, that the average Christian is a powder keg, just untapped potential, limitless power within you. And a lot of the time what happens is you're busy, you know, and we've got a family to take care of and there's stuff going on on Facebook and I've got a lot to do at work right now. And it's just a really distracting season. And, you know, I'm definitely, the kingdom of God matters to me and following Jesus matters to me. It's not not there, but it's not like, it's not in contact with the core of who I am. Because if it was in contact with the core of who I am, it would spark something. Because it wouldn't take many people, five, six Christians, maybe, filled with the Holy Spirit, set on fire by the Spirit to change the world. It didn't take many people to completely change the world. And I know it sounds crazy. It sounded crazy, actually, the people in verse 13 who were saying, okay, and they're hearing the same stuff, but they're hearing about these mighty acts of God, and they go, I mean, you guys are crazy. Like, you're probably drunk. That's, that's the stupidest thing I've heard in a long time. There's this God who loves everybody. There's this God who died for everybody. There's this God who's inviting me into his community, a God who foolishly believes that Parthians, Medes, and Jews, Cretans, Arabs, and Romans could all be one society. That's, you guys are drunk. And of course, the story will go on with Peter saying, yeah, we're not drunk. Uh, This is something God's been talking about for a long time. This is way back in Joel, this is way back at the beginning where humanity was made in his image and that image has been fractured and was really fractured at Babel where we all started speaking different languages and couldn't come together again. But I'm telling you that God is undoing what we have undone. God is upside down in the world we have turned upside down. I'm telling you about the kingdom of God come in Jesus Christ. And you can laugh at it all you want, but we are gonna make this happen in the world. Not from us, but because there's a power at work within us. We've been set on fire, folks. There's a spark that's happened to us, folks. And that spark is at work in you. And it really just needs to come into contact with what God has placed in your life, with dreams and visions that God already has for you. And you will find that you can do amazing, ridiculous, impossible things. The sorts of things that our world is in desperate need of, as evidence really every day in America. Because we really need somebody to speak about the mighty acts of God. We really need some more Dr. Kings out there in the world. We need people talking about a very different system and a very different way of life. There was a sermon uh, that this great pastor gave many years ago at the funeral of some black little girls because a bomb had been set off in a church. Just gonna say it again. A bomb had been set off in a church in the children's Sunday school department. And children ages 11 to 14, four little girls had died. And Dr. King had to preach that sermon. I'll tell you, as a pastor, I have preached sermons for the death of children, but I was very interested to read what he had to say. 
And he says this, their lives have something to say to us. Their life has something to say to every person who passively accepts the evil system of segregation and stands on the sidelines in the midst of a mighty struggle for justice. They say to each of us, black and white alike, that we must substitute courage for caution. They say to us that we must be concerned not merely about who murdered them, but about the system, the way of life, and the philosophy which produced the murderers. Their death says to us that we must work passionately and unrelentingly to make the American dream a reality. So they did not die in vain. God still has a way of wringing good out of evil. God still has a way of wringing good out of evil. But the way that that happens is when people like you and me substitute courage for caution. We get to move boldly into the world. Again, not a boldness that comes from ourselves, but a boldness that gets well sparked in us by our constant contact with the Spirit of God. As we slowly and steadily bring the fire of God toward that place in our lives, which we know has potential, which we feel that God could use. God could spark something in us. And a couple of people on fire for the Lord change the world. It happens time and time again in history. They change the world. It's a fire that cannot be put out because it, it burns of different kind of stuff. I don't know if you remember the burning bush in the Old Testament, but there's this moment when Moses is walking through the wilderness desert and he sees a bush that's on fire. But the fire doesn't consume the bush at all. The bush is on fire and yet very much alive, not being consumed. And that's what it's like to be people who follow Jesus. People who are on fire and find that we have limitless energy, limitless fuel that God can use in holy and mysterious ways to bring his message to people who are in desperate need of it. A God who slowly and steadily is changing the world and turning upside down what desperately needs turning upside down. And I'll tell you, our brother in Christ, who was killed this week because he was a Christian, had a pastor. And I watched an interview with that pastor on Religion Unplugged. He was talking about how they were part of a church plant, very much like ours. One where you would drag baptismals, which are horse drops, into the apartment complexes and preach the gospel in courtyards, hoping that people would hear it and listen. It's my hope. My hope that this person would not be another hashtag, but that we would remember him as our brother in Christ. Someone who died, much the same way that Dr. King died, much the same way that those little girl died. That's the same way that people all over the world die. Holding on to the belief there's a God who is stronger than death. Holding on to the belief that there's a God who can change the world. Who is, in fact, changing the world. Holding on to the belief that there is a completely different kingdom at work. That we belong to it, a very different system. And that's why we substitute courage for caution. Because we know the God we serve and we believe that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work within us. Friends, we need a different kind of fire, a different kind of spark. And today is the day, many, many years ago, that the church got it, but today is the day that you and I can remember that anew, can cry out to God that he would do a new work in us and that he would use us in the world. Because that's the crazy message of the book of Acts, that you and I are God's plan for the world. The church is God's plan for the world. And it starts small and slow and steady. 
but you and I are engaged in a struggle with a system that really does not care about the sorts of things that we care about. We are in a struggle slowly and steadily to turn the world upside down by the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus because of a God who is the Father of all. And that's what we believe. That's what we're banking on. There's a children's Bible. It's this one. Called the Jesus Storybook Bible. I read a lot of children's Bibles in our house. And I don't like any of them. And I kind of like all of them. That's what happens when you have a pastor for a father. And uh, I like the pictures in this one a lot of the time. Uh, but they did a pretty good job with the story of Pentecost. And so I thought I would leave you uh, with this story. And you could either think of it as a story for children that means nothing. Or you can think of it the way that the church has always thought of it, as the beginning, the day that God started something in us, a fire that has not yet been put out. Jesus' friends and helpers huddled together in a stuffy upstairs room. Even though it was sunny outside, the shutters were closed, the door was locked. Wait in Jerusalem, Jesus told them, I'm going to send you a special present. God's power is going to come into you, God's Holy Spirit is coming. So here they were, waiting. Actually, mostly what they were doing was just being scared and hiding. You can't blame them. Their best friend had left, and Jesus had given them a job to do they didn't know how to do. And, and they waited, and they were praying and remembering, remembering how from the beginning God had been working out his secret rescue plan. I know you wanted to see the pictures. Suddenly, a strong wind filled the little room, rustling through the walls. And it was fire that didn't hurt or burn. And suddenly, something more inside their hearts. They felt a strange heat, almost as if the coldness and hardness was melting away. They threw open the shutters. Sunlight flooded the room as love had flooded their hearts, and the little room was filled with happy noises, dancing feet, singing and laughing. They unlocked the door and surged out into the streets as if they'd never been afraid. Peter spoke in a loud voice so that everyone could hear. Jesus died for you, he said, because he loves you. God made him alive again, and he rescued you. That's what we've got, friends. Sheltering in place and stuck in a time of darkness. It's either nothing or it's everything. The Spirit of God. Lighting something on fire in us, pushing us out into the streets. A different kind of spark for a different kind of fire. And the world desperately needs to burn with this kind of fire. Would you pray with me?